0: Uh, yeah, we just were not patient enough to wait. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to turn to John chapter 12, we'll be finishing up that chapter this morning. It's good to see you all today. we will be looking at verses 44 to 50. Uh, before I read the passage, just want to give another plug. Um, to do Sunday so school, we do need quite a few volunteers. Um, and we've had a lot of people who have put a lot of time into to Children's Sunday School during the service, but to also do it beforehand, um, Children's Church. Um, it's something that really does take a lot of time and effort, and I'm so thankful for everybody who uh, volunteers and helps out with that, and invests that time in the children of this church. Um, but if there's any um, inclination to participate and help out with that, uh, like John said a moment ago, you don't need to be a, a master theologian to do it. Um, I heard Bruce say this week that there's been things that he's done in his lifetime that might not have been at the top of his list of things he wanted to do, but that in the long run, he really felt blessed by doing them. And um, So again, I just want to encourage people to be willing to, to help out with uh, with. Children's Church, even on a rotation. We're not asking you to do it every single week. Um, But it's something that really is, is helpful. John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50 this morning. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into this world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your goodness and grace. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day, and the opportunity to come together and to worship you. Lord, I am so thankful for this church and for the people that we have. Lord, I pray for everyone here today that we would be pointed to you in the preaching of your word, that we would be encouraged, enlightened, exhorted to live as your people and to follow your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This passage is like Jesus' greatest hits in the Gospel of John. You go to a concert from a singer or a group you love. And if it's someone who has a lot of hit songs, those are usually the ones you want to hear. Not something new, you want to hear what you like, what you know. Everything that's in this passage this morning has already been said elsewhere in the Gospel of John. But it's also all being restated here because of how important these themes are in this passage throughout the Gospel of John into the ministry of Christ. I mentioned last week that there's a major section of John's Gospel that goes all the way from chapter 1, verse 19, all the way until the end of chapter 12, our passage this morning. Oftentimes that's referred to as the Book of Signs. And what the Book of Signs covers is the public ministry of Jesus. So last week and today, we're wrapping up this major section and the conclusion of the book of signs in chapter 12, and there are four things this morning that I want to talk about in this passage. First is that Jesus reveals God. The text says in the beginning, Jesus cried out. There is urgency in his words. He doesn't have much time left in his earthly ministry before he goes to the cross, but Jesus cries out in verse 44 and says, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. Borrowing an idea from D.A. Carson in his commentary on John, to believe in Jesus is to believe in God's ultimate self-disclosure. To have faith in Jesus is not merely to have faith in a great man, a great teacher, a great leader, a great thinker, but it is to believe in God himself. Because to see Jesus is to see God. To hear his teachings are to hear the teachings of God. To see his miracles are to see the works of God. And to see his glory on the cross is to see the love of God. Now, because to believe in Jesus is to believe in the one who sent him, then that leads to the idea that to disbelieve in Jesus is to therefore disbelieve in the one who sent him. If we want to love God, and honor God, and live for God, the way to do that is through Jesus. Jesus. Because to believe in anything else or anyone else is to believe in someone or something that is not total and fully revealed as the disclosure of the divine in the world. One of the popular ideas in our culture and society today is this idea of, well, all religions are basically just teaching the same thing, or all roads lead to God. But as Jesus cries out to the crowd at the end of his ministry... What he is saying is absolutely against that belief in those teachings. Because Jesus is from God, points to God, and reveals God. Only he can do that. Because only Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Only Jesus is the eternal Word who was in the beginning. Now, the statement that Jesus makes at the beginning of this passage, if it's not totally true it is an absolutely blasphemous thing to say that to believe in him is to believe in the father the opening prologue of John's gospel says in chapter 1 verse 18 no one has ever seen God the only God who was at the father's side he has made him known Jesus reveals God to us In other places in the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches that his relationship to the Father confirms his identity. John chapter 5, verses 36 to 38. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus had a heavenly ministry in the world where he perfectly lived out the will and purposes of the Lord. And again, these are all ideas that are expressed throughout the Gospel of John. But all of this is why faith in Jesus is so important, because believing in Jesus is believing in God. Having faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior is having faith in the divine plan for salvation. That Jesus is not one religious teacher among many equally legitimate teachers, but that he is uniquely the one who is God in the world, who is sent by the Father in heaven. I know that it can be easy for these ideas to seem very lofty and theological, but it is also practical. It is also personal that we have a Savior who came into our world and who reveals the will and character and glory of God. That we have a personal Savior who died so that we can have life. I was reading this week, there's a website where you can type in a letter, like a letter to send to somebody. You can type up what you want the letter to say for a price. And they have robots that will write what you typed to make it look like it's a handwritten note. Real pens, real ink. Now... Letter writing is certainly somewhat of a lost art. And there is something nice about getting a a handwritten letter or note from someone. But a robot writing it for someone? It's just totally inauthentic. There are times where God can seem far off and distant. But we have a personal Savior who lived in the world... He ate with his disciples. He socialized with people. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. Second point. Jesus has come as light. Verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Once again, light is a prominent theme in the Gospel of John. And it's often contrasted with darkness. Darkness. That makes sense because light and darkness are opposed to each other. They're opposite to each other. And so it creates powerful symbolism. Light represents what is righteous. Darkness represents what is sinister. Light represents life. Darkness represents death. And Jesus says that he has come into the world as light. Certainly similar to John chapter eight verse twelve, where Jesus says that He is the light of the world, and one of the famous "I am" statements. John chapter three, Jesus connects the idea of following Him with following the light. Three nineteen and twenty. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Jesus also gets at the idea in this passage that people love darkness, people love their own worldliness more than the light and righteousness of Christ. We've already seen this theme of light in this 12th chapter of John. Last week, we saw Jesus talking of the light that he brings to a dark world when he called upon the people to walk in the light while also pointing forward to his own forthcoming death. 12 verses 35 and 36. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. And here in John chapter 12, verse 46, as his ministry is coming to its conclusion, for the final time in this gospel, Jesus will identify himself as the light in a dark world. It's a powerful theme in this gospel. But again, it should be noted that Jesus, after this passage, does, never, does not again associate himself with light and the Gospel of John. Because his ministry is coming to its end, and the light is about to leave the world. Yes, Jesus did come into the world to be glorified and to die for our sins, But he also came into the world to transform the world through the gospel. Really, John 12, verse 46 is a statement of purpose that Jesus makes. I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus is the light and he is the only true light in the world. And when we know Jesus, His light is meant to influence us, His people, and how we live and how we interact with a darkened and sinful world. Christians are supposed to live differently from the rest of the world. Kenneth Lauterette was a church historian. In one of his church history books, he says this about the influence of the church and the world. He says, No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men as that of Christ. From that brief life and its apparent frustration has flowed a more powerful force for the triumphal waging of man's long battle than any other known by the human race. Through it, millions of people have had their inner conflicts resolved. Through it, hundreds of millions have, Have been lifted from illiteracy and ignorance, and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. It It has done more to ally the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse, and it has emancipated millions from chattel slavery and millions of others from the thraldom of vice. It has protected tens of millions from exploitation by their fellows, and it has been the most fruitful source of movements to lessen the horrors of war and put the relations of men and nations on the basis of justice and peace." End quote: "The world likes to twist Christianity and make it as if it's a source of evil. And certainly and sadly, there have been people throughout the history of the church, and there are people today who have distorted the message of the gospel. There have been people who have committed abuse within the church. But for nearly 2,000 years, the church has been a global force for good. On the whole, Christianity has been transformative throughout the world and throughout history. And that's true throughout nations and societies. But that is also supposed to be true at the individual level. For each and every one of us. People who know the Lord Jesus and who live lives that are transformed by it. That Jesus is the light who gives light to his church. So that his church and his people can shine in a darkened world. Third point. Judgment for rejecting Jesus. And again, I think it's helpful to see how these ideas in this passage all work together. That there's a logical flow to everything Jesus is saying. And Jesus comes to the subject of judgment. But it is after talking about himself as the one who makes God known. That he comes to bring light into the world so that we do not have to remain in darkness. But what about for the one who remains in darkness? Jesus says in our passage, verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now let's take a moment to look at this verse. Jesus talks about judgment. He says he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Really, that's another statement of purpose that he's making. We saw in the last section that Jesus has come as a light in the world. Here he says he has not come as a judge, but as a savior. Very similar to what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus comes to bring salvation. And in his ministry, when he walked the earth, that is why he was in the world. That is what he accomplished at his first coming. But when he says he did not come to judge the world, he is not saying that there will never be judgment. Again, during his ministry, the purpose for why Jesus was in the world was not one of judgment. But there is a final judgment that humanity will face. Take verses 47 and 48 together. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Verse 47 is a verse that can very easily be taken out of context. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. It can be easy to to just isolate that part of that verse and to play games. To think, well, I guess you get off scot-free. But verse 48, he says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So what he's saying in this verse is that people will not be judged by him, but based on their rejection of his word. Now, keep in mind that Jesus would have been perfectly justified to come first and foremost as a judge. He says in John 5, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. But Jesus did not come primarily to judge. He came primarily to save. And we should rejoice that he is a savior first and foremost, because we deserve judgment. We are sinful people. We don't live up to the righteousness of God. We can't do anything on our own to deserve God's forgiveness or grace or blessings. The subject of judgment is one that is so often so unpopular in the Bible. One of the best known and most beloved Christian songs of the last 15 years has been In Christ Alone, performed by Keith and Kristen Getty, written by Stuart Townsend. One of the lyrics of their song says, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. A few years ago, the Presbyterian Church USA was revising their hymnal and wanted to include that song, but they had actually asked the Gettys and Stuart Townsend if they could change the lyric of, The wrath of God was satisfied, to the love of God was magnified, the Gettys said no. We like to sanitize judgment. We like to sanitize God's wrath towards sin. And we like to sanitize the consequences of sin. The Bible is clear that there will be a future judgment. And this world needs to know that. That we cannot have a consequence-free rejection of Christ. Because we are already dead and condemned in our sins. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because we have a Savior who promises eternal life. And the means that he is given to receive eternal life is to believe in Jesus. Because when we have faith in Christ there is a grace and righteousness which is imputed to us as if it were our own righteousness. And again, in that we should rejoice. And in him we should believe. Because as Jesus said earlier in this passage, believing in him is to believe in the one who sent him. And rejecting him is to reject the one who sent him. Fourth point in this passage, the authority of the Father. The words that Jesus has spoken, he grounds in the truth and character of God. Last two verses, 49 and 50. For I have not spoken of my own authority, sorry, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This passage begins and ends with Jesus talking about his relationship to the Father. In the beginning, it's that Jesus reveals the Father. In the end, it's that Jesus is sent by the Father, and that Jesus does as the Father has told him, and that Jesus says as the Father has told him. And as with other ideas in this passage, this one also is not new in the Gospel of John. Jesus has talked about his relationship to the Father throughout the Gospel of John. But it's important to reiterate in this instance, in this passage, because again, these are the final words that Christ publicly proclaimed in this Gospel. All of these prominent themes... Jesus has said many things throughout the Gospel of John. He has said many absolute statements about who he is in his relationship with the Father. And so Jesus says here, as he says elsewhere in John's Gospel, that he has come to speak the word of God. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is no less God, no less divine, no less glorious, no less powerful, no less righteous. But as someone who is fully God and fully man, in his humanity, Jesus submits to the Father during his ministry. But it also matters because if we reject Jesus, it is not merely a rejection of Jesus, but it is a rejection of the Father. If we don't like what Jesus says about believing in Him, then we don't like what God says about salvation. God made one way to salvation, there is one way. And that is through the work of Christ on the cross. There is no other way. Jesus lived a life in perfect fidelity to God. Jesus points to the authority of God and how he has been obedient in what he has done and what he has said. We could not do that. We're sinful. We willingly rebel against God. But Jesus lived a righteous life we could not live. And he died a death, to, a death to sin that we deserved so that we could have eternal life in Christ. John five twenty four. Jesus again is talking about the subject of eternal life when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The world loves to undermine the gospel and say why Jesus didn't teach what he taught or why Jesus, what he taught, wasn't true. But then we have Jesus, who is God on earth, who reveals the light of God in a darkened world. And there are are eternal consequences for rejecting that. Because the message which Jesus came to tell the world is the message of God. I think of this passage and how it fits into the gospel of John. I think of what comes next in John's gospel. Chapters 13 to 17 are all in the upper room. It's just Jesus and the disciples. Chapters 18 and 19 are Jesus, arrest, trial, crucifixion, and death. Chapter 20 is the resurrection and resurrection appearances. And chapter 21 are his final appearances and postscript. But we've been on a journey for almost 12 chapters in this gospel, seeing the ministry of Jesus. We've heard his teachings, that it is he who is the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, and the one who was before Abraham. We've heard him teach that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He has confronted us with claims about who he is, such as when he said, I and the Father are one. We've seen the signs water into wine, healing a man born blind, feeding multitudes, walking on water. He raised a man from the dead. We've seen his glorious ministry in the world and so much more. And now it's the end of his public ministry. And what other message could there be than to believe in the light who reveals God and who has come to save the world? Jesus has come into the world with a message of eternal life for all who believe in him. And that's how his ministry comes to a conclusion. And that's the message for us today. To believe in the one who was sent. To believe in God on earth. And to believe in the gospel. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your son. The life that he lived. The love that he displays and that he calls us to. Lord, may we be people who today and this week and every day live out our faith and shine as light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.